0: Recovery Elevator, episode 17.
1: And then I thought, okay, I can just drink beer, you know, on the weekends. But I mean, when you're drinking a flat of beer, for a girl to drink a flat of beer and still be able to walk around and function and drive, unfortunately, uh, yeah, that's just a scary, scary thing.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety app on my phone, I have been sober for nine months and one week. At the end of the podcast today, I'll explain about what it felt like when I got my nine month chip a couple days ago at an AA meeting. On today's podcast, I have Lalea from Canada. She's going to tell us how she's just got one month of sobriety and how she might have to be starting over. But first, I have compiled a list of nine ways of how to stay sober in a social gathering or how to go out on a night in a town with your friends and stay sober. I get asked all the time, Paul, how the hell do you do it? How the hell do you put up with all these drunk people all the time and stay sober? You're trying to tell me you're in the middle of this shitstorm and you're not drinking? No way. I I don't believe it. How do you do this? Well, this is how I do it. These are the nine ways that I use to give me the best chances of staying sober at a social gathering or an event. And to be honest with you, Recovery Elevator, these aren't 100% effective. Like vaccines, like condoms, there are failure rates. There are times when I've gone out to parties with every inkling of desire not to drink. But sure enough, one of these steps I skip and I end up drinking. So like a lot of the things I'm telling you, Recovery Elevator, I'm also telling these things to myself. Here are the nine Best ways so you can stay sober at a party. Number one, this might sound grim, but this is the most important rule. Ready for it? Don't go. Yes, I know that sounds extreme, but this whole drinking thing is just that it's extreme. First rule is don't go. However, you can't implement this rule forever. So you're going to need to make some choices. If you are in very early recovery or just decided to quit drinking, you probably shouldn't go to pretty much anything. But if you've got a couple weeks, months, or if it's an event you really have to go to and you do decide to go, then that's up to you. But if it's just another Friday night on the town with your buddies, you might want to sit this one out. Here's some events that you might have to make an exception and you go to your brother's bachelor party, your brother's engagement, a direct family member's wedding a super bowl only if your top two favorite teams are in it your fantasy football draft but only if you finish in the top four the previous season and have a chance of winning the trophy this year a graduation party but it can't be your friend tony's mike's little sister's friend graduation party it's got to be direct family members graduation party third eye blind reunion tour that might fall into the category of a must go but seriously if you decide to quit drinking on march 13th and four days later oh guess what it's saint patrick's day 369 days later, St. Patrick's Day will roll around again. You can pretty much skip this year's St. Patrick's Day. Or, hate to say it, you're probably going to be drinking three to four days after you made your new life pack to quit drinking. But if you have made this decision that you must attend this event, do some recon before you go make sure there are non-alcoholic options at the party. I'm not talking duels or non-alcoholic beer because those actually have a tiny fraction of alcohol in them as well. You could probably have 40 or 50 non-alcoholic beers and have the same result of having 10 regular beers. Not sure if my math's correct on that, but you get the point. Number two on the list of nine best ways to stay sober at a social gathering is have an exit strategy. Like any entrepreneur, when starting a business, They already know how they're going to get out of that business. And just like when you go out to this social engagement, you need to know how you're already going to leave this party before you get there. What this means is when your friend Tammy says, oh, hey, I'm going to come pick you up at eight, say, you know what? I think I'm going to drive to this party. Therefore, your car is there. Let's hope you're not drinking and these steps do work so you're not leaving your exit strategy drunk. Take a taxi. There's this cool thing called Uber. Get a ride there. And the point is be able to leave on your own terms when you want. Number three, seasons change. Leaves fall off trees. It gets colder. It gets warmer. The days get longer. The days get shorter. Number three is a tough one because this one really requires you to get outside your comfort zone and make some tough choices. Seasons change and maybe your friends do too. And if they are your friends, they're going to come back around and they might never change. But here's the thing. If you really want to stay sober and get sober, you're going to have to make some changes. You might decide to roll with a new crew. Yeah? That jogging club that meets at 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings. That might be the change that you need, all right? Poker night is only supposed to go from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock with $120 buy-in, but everybody knows there's a lot of beer consumed and everybody buys back in 5, 10 times. You're just going to lose a lot of money and stay drunk and probably go to work late the next day. That's what I'm talking about. The seasons change. Friends might have to change. Leaves will fall off a tree, but I've never seen a spring come around where the leaves don't grow back, and it always seems to me like they've grown back greener than they ever grew back before but you got to go through that very uncomfortable time where there are no leaves on the tree or there might be one or two very strong leaves on those trees. And those are your true friends. Seasons change. Your friends might have to change also. Number four, this one is important. There are four components to number four. Number one, tell them. Number two, notify them. Number three, let them know. Number four, somehow in an email, text, phone call, whatever, Make it known to the people you're with. Let them know or somebody that you're not drinking. I'm not expecting you to walk into a baby shower or a bar, clink your glass and say, hey, everybody, I got an announcement to make. No, but you got to tell a couple people, right? A couple people need to know what's going on. And these are the people that should be your true friends. This step is creating something very important, which has been vital to my recovery. Can you guess what it is? wait for it, starts with A, ends with ability, you're creating accountability. Yes, that is an underlying theme of this entire podcast, accountability. That's what I needed for me to truly get sober. If you don't tell anybody or let a couple people in on your master plan, how you plan to air quotes control, which you can't control, this whole drinking thing, then there's nobody there to call you out when you return from the bar with two Bud Lights in your hand. And be like, whoa there, Paul. I I thought 15 minutes ago, you told me you weren't gonna be drinking tonight. You've gotta tell somebody. This doesn't have to be a sit down heart to heart when you let them know your plan of not drinking tonight. It could just be like, hey, I want to let you know I'm not going to be drinking tonight and I'd appreciate it to be supportive. And if they are your real friend, they're going to be supportive. Also, if they do know, your friends are just that. They're pretty cool. They are your friends. Instead of coming back from the bar with the norm saying, hey, everybody, Jager bombs. No, they're going to come back and say, hey, Rick, rum and coke, Jager bomb for you, Steve and Paul. Here's a soda water. I got you a lime. They're going to be supportive and they're going to come back and include Include you in the festivity of drinking, except you're gonna be drinking a soda water with lime. It's such a cool feeling when my friends come back with a round in their hands. And at the very end, I've got a diet coke sitting on the tray. It feels really good. I already feel like an outcast at the bars, but when I get included in the rounds with the boys, it's awesome. For a second, it's like nothing's changed. Number five on my list of nine ways to stay sober at a social gathering, always have a drink in your hand. This does two things. Number one, it satiates the habit you have of always having a beverage in your hand. And number two, people probably won't recognize you if you don't have a drink in your hand, regardless of the shape, the bottle, the color. They're not going to recognize you if you have two empty hands. Now there is scientific evidence behind this. You are so used To having a drink in your hand at social gathering that it is normal for your brain to feel a cold beverage in your right or your left hand and when you don't have that in your hand your receptors they're firing they're they're not connecting something is going wrong psychologically in your brain doesn't matter what it is in your hand be it a diet coke a ginger beer those are great there are non-alcoholic ginger beer and this ginger beer is the main ingredient in a moscow mule but it's not alcoholic, it's delicious. It's a ginger ale, it's very good. And it's in the shape of a beer bottle. This does a third thing as well. If you've got a drink, a glass shaped bottle in your hand, people aren't gonna say, hey, I'm going to the bar, Paul. You want me to get you a drink? And you just avoid one more opportunity for you to slip up right there. Number six, don't talk to that cute boy or cute girl on the other side of the bar. Stick with your friends that you went out with. Simply getting out of your house is getting outside of your comfort zone big time. Don't need to go way outside your comfort zone to Pluto and start flirting with girls or guys in early sobriety. I remember after being sober just a few days, I met a girl at a bar and I said a joke. And of course, she was like a deer in the headlights. The joke didn't land. I was sober. It was so awkward. Guess what my next line was? Can I get you a drink? And I got two drinks. So go figure. If you're like me, I'm awkward anyways with girls. Take out the alcohol in a bar situation, good night. No chance at all without alcohol making that situation better. So that's where I'm at right now also with girls. I don't really walk across the bar and go talk to girls. If I do meet girls, it's organic. It's in a social setting. That's not a bar. Number seven, lower your expectations. That's right. Your first couple times, three, four, five, maybe 10 times going out sober are not going to be as fun as the previous times. So lower that bar of expectations. At the end of the night when you leave, you're not going to say to yourself, wow, that was one of the best nights of my life. But look down. You still got your pants. You're wearing shoes. You got your dignity. You're going to remember everything. You're probably going to wake up feeling a hell of a lot better the next morning. So lower that bar of expectations. It's not like every night out is going to be New Year's in sobriety. If you're used to being the life of the party, you're probably not gonna be the life of the party in early sobriety, but your personality will return. Your personality will return greener than ever, just like those leaves that fell off the tree, but when they do grow back, they are stronger. They're more vibrant. You may realize, yes, I am not the life of the party in early recovery. You also might realize your friends aren't as funny as you thought they were while you're sober. Seasons change, friends might need to change as well. Number eight, Instead of an action, this one's more of a response. You are going to get the inevitable question, perhaps once, twice, several times in an evening. Hey, Paul, are you not drinking tonight? What's going on? I haven't seen you drink tonight. You haven't challenged Chet yet to your normal keg stand competition. That's really rare for you, Paul. What's going on? I'm just kidding. I actually don't even think I have a friend named Chet. But seriously, you are going to have to answer the question and have fun with it. A lot of the things that I say are for strictly reactional purposes. Have fun with these answers, but as you do progress in sobriety, you're gonna realize what the best answers are, and those always are, I don't drink. Now, you might have to answer follow-up questions after that, but honesty in general, in life, that's usually what I've learned the hard way is the best way to go. But here are some things, and all of these I have said to get reactions out of people. Number one of part eight. Hey, Paul, you're not drinking tonight? No, you know, I've had enough. And you can just see the wheels spinning in their head. Is it, he's had enough tonight. He's had enough in general. He's had enough of life. Did his car break down? What has he had enough of? It's kind of fun just to watch their wheels spin. Number two, hey, Paul, are are you not drinking tonight? Yeah, you know, I've got rickets and these meds and the alcohol. They just don't mix. Again, watch their reaction. Third one is, hey, Paul, are you not drinking tonight? Yeah, I'm on this new diet thing and I'm not supposed to have alcohol. That's actually totally acceptable to say. A lot of people do diets where you can't drink alcohol. Number four, act like you're completely drunk or already blacked out. So when they ask you if you're not drinking, just be like, um, and then just fall right on a cardboard box or on top of a trash can full of empty beer cans and make a huge mess. It's pretty damn funny. Again, haven't done that one a while, but I see it coming in the next couple months. Next one, which is somewhat honest, is I'm allergic to alcohol. So someone says, hey, Paul, are you not drinking tonight? Like, no, you know, I'm allergic to horses, cats, dander, alcohol, and pollen. Yeah, so no, I'm not I'm not drinking tonight. I'm allergic to it. Another one could be to straight up use the law. Hey, Paul, you're not drinking tonight? No, you know, I'm only 20. I'm 33, and I look 33, but shoot, I've used it before, and it works. This one's a fun one. Hey, Paul, you're not drinking tonight? So you look at them, and then you look at yourself, palms out, look down, look up, look back at them, shake your head in a weird face and be like, are you serious? Look at this body. This is a temple. There is no way I'm putting that rat piss inside of my body. Next one. Hey, Paul, you drinking tonight? No, man, it's Lent. Gave that up. Here's another one. Hey, Paul, can I get you a drink? No, that's okay. You are actually starting to look attractive. I should better stop. Here's another one. This one usually works if it's a Wednesday, but if it's not, who really cares? Hey, Paul, can I get you rum and Coke? Ash Wednesday, bro. Can't do it. Here's another one. Hey, Paul, you want a Jaeger bomb? No, nah, Shark Week, bro. They'll have no idea what that means. These are all fun and games, but you should probably, in the end, get to the real point of letting people know that you don't drink. So this is what I do. Hey, can I get you a drink? No, I'm okay. I don't drink. Normal drinkers, they're going to say, oh, you don't drink? Be like, nah, I don't drink anymore. They're gonna say, oh, that's cool. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? They'll change the subject real quick. Normal drinkers and good friends alike, that will be their reaction. Your drinking buddies, these seasonal friends that probably need to change, those are the ones that are gonna say, hey, Paul, you wanna drink? You're gonna say, no, I'm not drinking. They're gonna be like, not drinking? Are you effing kidding me? It's Friday night, man. You're a complete wuss. What the heck is wrong with you? That's your big red flag right there. Seasons change that leaf needs to fall off the tree. And the ninth way to stay sober at a social gathering is to have fun. Make a point to have fun. You need to make a mental adjustment, a decision that you are going to have fun at this event. You are now living. Alcohol is a matter of life and death. The life part, that's what you weren't doing when you were drinking. You are now living life. You are experiencing a myriad of new emotions at this new social gathering that you have never experienced before. Maybe at your friend Rodney's fifth birthday party. Yeah, when you weren't drinking back then. But if you're like me, your first couple sober outings, you're like, whoa, this music sucks. This lighting is terrible. These nachos are soggy. What is going on? But what you're doing, you're living. And you're going to remember it the next day. Your friends are probably going to call you and be like, hey, dude, what happened? I don't remember anything. Oh, yeah. And I feel like shit this morning. But you? you're not. And your first couple outings in early sobriety, you might want to go so bad and just say, get me the F out of here. I want to drink so bad. But your second outing in early recovery, you're going to want to go just a little bit less. You're going to want to take that drink just a little bit less. And the third and the fourth and the fifth are going to be just like that until if you're sixth or your seventh or eighth, ninth, tenth, and it might take 20 or 30 times. It might take a year to get to this point, but you realize you don't want to leave. You look around the party, you look at your hand, your soda water with a little splash of crayon, and realize you're feeling an emotion that you haven't felt in a long time. It's enjoyment. It's enjoyment without the effects of alcohol or a different substance. You are enjoying the party using your brain's natural chemistry. And when you have reached that moment and you can easily go out in sobriety and have a great time. Look around. Like I said, seasons change. You might be in a completely different setting. You might be surrounded with completely different, healthier, greener, livelier people. Be open to that. Acceptance is the answer. Talked about that in a couple podcasts ago. You need to have acceptance of what your current situation is. In your early sobriety and recovery, I hope you can use these nine steps and tools to help you stay sober on a night out on the town. And these will also be in the podcast blog post at recoveryelevator.com, so you can check it all out there. Now, let's get into the interview segment of the podcast. In Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Lalea from Mission Canada to the podcast. How are you, Lalea?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Paul. How
0: are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Well, today is one month, one week and one day. So pretty excited about that. Had a bit of a slip yesterday, but not with alcohol, with the pills. So um, just kind of working on the whole process of understanding that addiction is more than just alcohol. It's
0: uh, a huge underlying issue. Lalea I got a list of questions to get right into but I think we got a good segue into another topic or another direction of this interview first off congratulations on one month one week and there was a couple days in there that's fantastic thank you but it sounds like you did uh, um, took some pills yesterday and and maybe relapse is that what you said
1: yeah, yeah, it would be a relapse. It's um, I was in denial thinking that I was at work feeling irritable, just tired of all this feeling, you know, that comes along with being sober. And I just gave into the thought, oh, there's a pharmacy downstairs. And um, like where I work and, you know, in Canada, codeine pills are legal. So having an opiate addiction for 10 years, along with my alcohol, that's been going way back in since childhood, I just thought this is an easy fix and I gave in. And I feel a little bit terrible today. I just have to start over with my sobriety, but
0: just one day at a time, right? Exactly. And I appreciate your honesty and and accountability because saying one month, one, one week, you probably could have cruised right over the fact that you are now at what, under 10 hours? Am I correct on that?
1: That's right. Yeah. About nine hours. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think the takeaway on this is, and I am guilty as charged about 40 or 50 times recovery elevator, not in the last eight and a half months that I've been sober, but I'm guilty as charges in this. I would quit alcohol and then guess what? I would take Ambien, but I would take an Ambien pill and I wouldn't go to sleep. I wouldn't pull the covers up, read a book when I was finished, turn off the light and and pop an Ambien. I would pop an Ambien pill and go walk around. I'd go cruise around the house, and I was just getting that out of mind state from a sleeping pill, which to me seemed completely fine because there was a professional prescribing it to me. And like you just said, with the codeine, that's legal in Canada. And and we were talking a bit before this, Lalea. You said your addiction is doing sit ups and push ups. It's a great <laughs> analogy. Can you can you talk to me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, like when I whenever I stopped drinking. Well, before I've gone this route. I was in denial that I had a problem that I could start drinking normally. Of course, I think we all do, uh, but I feel like when I stop, stop drinking, it's like doing push-ups and getting stronger. And then now just this thing with the pills and how much I took, it's just, I know that it's going to kill me if I don't stop. It's just getting stronger. And um, yeah, it's not just, oh, fun, partying, binge drinking, and oh, I take pills just to, you know, take the edge off. It's This is a problem. It's I don't want to die. It's...
0: Yeah, serious. And there's another analogy that I'll use. It's it's life on life's terms. And that's what courage and sobriety looks like. It's facing life on life's terms without a substance like pills or alcohol. Am I right on that, Leah?
1: Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, uh, without anything, life is so good, but it's just you have to deal with the feelings. You can't hide away from them. And as hard as it is to feel, I mean, since we were kids, I mean, I don't know about everybody else listening, but ever since i was under 10 years old i mean five even i just didn't want to feel i was so scared and alone and i used anything it was food it was um you know beer and then the drugs and just it just chaos I just it gets tiring it's yeah
0: sick and tired of being (laughs) sick and tired and the takeaway here is be very careful listeners if you quit drinking alcohol but then you substitute it with chocolate brownies, right? In the same manner that you were ingesting alcohol. It's kind of just the same thing. It could be, you could be replacing alcohol with pot. You could be replacing it with codeine, with pills, with NyQuil, with exercise. In fact, I just said NyQuil. Let me tell you a, a, a quick anecdote of mine. In 2014, in, in, in August, right? I had like 14 days of sobriety and I just could not face life on life's terms. So I chugged. A bottle of NyQuil. However, it was nowhere near nighttime. And yeah. I am a flag football captain. And we had a practice before the flag football season started. And it was scheduled for like an hour and a half. I had rented the field space for that much. The practice lasted 35 minutes because I was just like, all right, team, button hooks. And then I couldn't even remember what was going on. Um, we did we did sprints and it just like halfway through, I'm like, all right, that's it, blew the whistle. I got in my car and went home. But yeah. I was just basically replacing the feeling of alcohol with, with NyQuil. So let's get yeah. into the next question. Referencing the podcast title, Lalea, when did you yeah. realize your elevator had reached its bottom and it was time to get off?
1: Well, it would have been January or February probably of this year. It, I mean, in December, probably. I just remember getting in really scary situations. I mean, of course, the binge drinking and going out to bars and just coming to them I, I started blacking out. Um, probably quite some time ago, but the blackouts were getting really scary. I'd come to and sometimes just around guys and situations and really scary. Uh, Maybe I won't get into detail too much, but I had to escape and just, yeah, it just got worse and worse. And a friend of mine just told me I was stuck and it just really hit home. And I just felt like, I I just felt so helpless, right? I didn't know where to go. So it's been a process to get to this point where finally I'm like, i am messed up and i need help like i just need help i need to look for to others for support and i can't do it alone as i've tried my whole like for the past 10 years and it's not not working so yeah i sure. surrender to it yeah
0: Now, are you in your 20s or 30s loya i'm 34 actually I just turned 34 a couple weeks ago well congratulations yeah. on a birthday yeah, yeah it sounds like a couple weeks ago you were sober am i right I
1: was. Yeah, that was a Maylong weekend up in Canada. It's a big thing. We'd go dirt biking and camping and, you know, swimming and just it was usually chaos with drinking. And, and then my birthday, that was another excuse. So this was the first birthday and Maylong that I've had. Totally sober. I went to AA and just uh, reached out for support. I mean, it was a great birthday. Yeah, it was really good.
0: Okay, tell me about this May-long festival. It sounds like a Canadian holiday where there's dirt biking, there's camping, there's got to be jumps with the dirt bikes and campfires and all kinds of stuff, and you successfully didn't drink, and you were only a couple weeks sober. Will you give some insight on how you pulled that one off? I mean, that's quite a feat. You should be proud.
1: Well, I didn't actually go camping or to fires or dirt biking or anything. I I just kind of stayed away. I just think it's safer right now not to get into situations like that. I just, I don't feel strong enough. I Before I've done it and I thought, oh no, I'm good now. And then I get into situations and then out comes the beer. And yeah, so this this year I thought, no, I'm just gonna lay low.
0: Wow, I am saying wow because you said stayed away, right? That yeah. is some of the hardest things that I've ever had to do myself and you just did it. And I have a podcast about getting outside your comfort zone to be sober and sometimes getting outside your comfort zone means not going to yeah. where you're comfortable to hanging out with your friends with your dirt bike so congratulations on that that's yeah. that had to have been hard
1: it was yeah it, the getting outside your comfort zone holy it's like new story in my life I, you gotta you gotta get out of your comfort zone if you want to be have a better life
0: yeah now Lilaya. Talk to me about your drinking habits. How much did you drink? Did you ever, did you have a drink of choice? Did you have any rules in place? For example, I am only drinking on the weekends. Talk to me about that.
1: Well, ever since I was uh, early teen, beer was m- like my my thing, my go-to. I, I love beer, you know, ever since I was seven, when I first tasted it, I thought, mm, that's good, <laughs> you know? And then in my my mid twenties, I went to wine, and I drank wine every day. And then after I quit that, you know, because it was too chaotic. And I um, and then I thought, okay, I can just drink beer, you know, on the weekends. But I mean, when you're drinking a flat of beer for a girl to drink a flat of beer and still be able to walk around and function and drive, unfortunately, yeah, uh, yeah, that's just a scary, scary thing. So it's just, it just it constantly moves around. It'll like your addiction in your mind is like this little, oh. Uh, devil or whatever you want to call it that just uh says oh no but you can use
0: this now use this now use this lily i actually just recalled an article or a rumor i don't know if this is true but you might be able to shed some insight on it i read us I, I remember this somewhere that there was a grizzly bear that broke into a cabin in canada and it was there was a box full of bud light and there was also <laughs> a box full of molson ice which is a canadian beer the bear drank all the molson ice have you ever heard anything like that is that anywhere is that a fable is is true
1: <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that would, that's true i never heard that one but uh yeah i thought it would be kokanee because that seems to be the beer choice around bc anyway but uh yeah i don't know about that one <laughs>
0: it's probably in the onion that i read it and i was probably drunk and i believed every article that i read <laughs> talk to me about your drinking and how has it impacted your relationships be it with your family with with a spouse or with a boyfriend or, or whoever
1: well, um, growing up with alcoholic parents, um, I felt like growing up, well, I can't beat them and join them, right? So I, drinking would actually bring us closer together. And then, yeah, it's, I could, if I was sober, I was just so irritated. And uh, with my relationships, God, so, so many relationships I've ruined because, I mean, when you're drinking so much more, I just don't have a stop button, right? I don't think any of us do. That stop button doesn't exist. So drinking till early in the morning, they want to go to bed. And I'm just like, no, let's party, you know, it's, yeah, it's ruined a lot of relationships. Friends have, have come and gone and really good friends. And I want to reconnect, but sometimes it's gone when it goes too far, you just, there's no going back. So just accepting that is a hard process, but it's a work in progress.
0: Accepting that. Exactly. Acceptance is the answer of our current situation. And you can't hit the stop button when you stop yeah. drinking. I know exactly what you mean. And with a lot of the relationships, I didn't quite ruin them or there wasn't a fiery breakup. It was yeah. more they didn't progress. For example, when we were out at a bar or any event where drinking was involved, after two or three beers, I didn't become social. My goal was not to get to know my friends better or hang out with my friends. The goal was to get drunk. And I would just, I'd say, like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'll be right back. And I would go to the bar and that, that would, I would do that like 10 times a night. Oh yeah, okay, I, I, okay, all right, I'll go to the bar, I'll be back. And I just didn't get to know anybody, right? And and that was my priority. Has that ever happened to you with, with, with a stop where you can't hit the stop button?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Just, uh, yeah, like woohoo, I <laughs> just wanted to party and not, not stop until, early morning or just even go days on end it. uh, Yeah,
0: definitely. And the before the interview, we spoke a little bit. Now recovery elevator is not affiliated with alcoholics anonymous, but I understand you went to alcoholics anonymous a little while ago. Can you tell us about that?
1: yeah so that was a hard step to make um but I knew I know my counselor that I've been seeing a while and and everybody's been kind of pushing me that that direction directing me like she was shining the light on AA and I thought okay I'm gonna do this and I remember inching each step in the door and it was so scary but everybody there was so welcoming I just I can't even believe it it's it's been a life-changing thing this AA and yeah I just to join something for me to join something and I've always been a lot of like I'm a loner my whole life you know and it's like I can do this alone and uh yeah but now just being the support reaching out and it's such a change I mean I'm just so grateful for those people they're they're just wonderful I talk to my sponsor every day and yeah she's becoming a great friend and I just feel so fortunate for this group among other resources of course
0: Sure. Absolutely. And you said, I can do this alone, or you thought you could do this alone. I've said that to myself, maybe 785 times that I can do this alone. I got this. Right. And it wasn't until about eight months, three weeks and about six days, go figure that's right around my sobriety date. When I said, I can't do this alone. And I haven't looked back since because I still can't do this alone. So you just said it, Lalea, that's one of the most important things to grasp, right? And talk to listeners how it's been imperative for you to realize that you can't do this alone.
1: Well, um, whenever I did try to uh, stop drinking before, I mean, it would last a couple days, a couple weeks, sometimes even I remember it lasting just under three months. And and then I thought, oh, I'm good now, you know, I can have a couple beers and sure it would be, sure, it'd be maybe two beers this time and then four. And, uh, for the next week and then, it, but it's just a steady progression. I mean, you're just going down the spiral and it's more, it's a lot worse than it was when you stopped drinking initially. It just, yeah, it's a vicious spiral and you'll just continue to go out of control. Yeah. I mean, I still on my head, it's so funny because it'll say, I just hear my addiction saying, you're fine now, you're not an addict. You know, I see some people there saying they drink every day and from the morning they lost their house, their car, their wife, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, I still own my, my house. I still own a great car. I have a wonderful job, but it, I've missed so much work because I was hungover. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't lost any jobs because mm-hmm. of it. It is going to catch up. I mean, it, it will. You're just, I mean, I'm lucky that I caught my illness where it is and not when I'm 50 and I've lost everything. So I may be 34 now and it's just becoming enlightened and being like, stop and do something about it, you know, get a grasp of your life
0: and take control of it. Don't let the addiction rule it anymore. It sounds like you hit stop on your elevator before it went down too far, and right there is a yet scale that I like to think of, LaLea, a yet scale that hasn't happened yet. And I never really thought, with my drinking problems, that I would ever get DUIs, I would ever lose my house, I would ever, you know, have have financial bankruptcy. But that, for me, is just a yet scale. If I continue down my current path, LaLea. All that stuff would happen. I don't know how. <laughs> I can't foresee when. It might happen in my 60s. I'm 33. But yeah. it might happen in my 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know. But eventually it would happen. It's just a matter of time. And it hasn't happened yet so that's really cool you realize that and I, this is hard for me to believe or grasp is you and i we're lucky to be chatting right now and because we're in our 30s we could be going down this road for another 10 15 20 years without even addressing the issue do you feel right now like you are a lucky one
1: I totally do I mean oh I just to, to live the chaos and to imagine it getting worse and worse I just I feel sad for that person that could be in the future, but I also feel sad for the person in the past, but I just have to focus on right now. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that me and you are both here and that listeners, you know, wherever they may be in their addiction can stop now as well and reach out. So it's it's a blessing to be a part of this whole thing.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the culture around drinking In Canada, for example, I have been to Canada and it was chilly when I was there. (laughs) And and there's a lot of ice hockey and there's a lot of beer consumed. What's it like being sober in Canada?
1: It's great. You know, I, around, on NBC, oh, actually, we're having like record-breaking weather. It's it's actually really warm. Vancouver is the warmest of all of all of um, Canada. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome this year too. It's so so warm. Um, but going hiking now, I'm not sick all the time, so I can actually go hiking on you know the weekends. Go swimming, and I just have more energy to, to play with my friends' kids and just to be there for for my friends. I'm trying to reach out, trying to heal mend some uh, relationships and. Yeah, being sober is amazing. It's a whole new light. I don't have to go to the beach now, laying in the in the lake on my floaty or whatever, with a beer in my hand. I can do it just me. I don't have to have a beer and a cigarette. Just me. So, it's just such a relief. I'm just tired of this. I'm just so happy the madness is is stopped.
0: We both live in very beautiful places. I have been to Vancouver. Have not been to Mission, Canada. But you mentioned there was lakes, there was creeks, there was ponds. You can kayak. How important and how vital has that been for you to just get outside and breathe it all in? And for me, that's where my higher power is. It's in the mountains.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I, I'm totally with you. I've been a big believer in the force of um, you know that God, if you will, like is a force. And when I'm in nature, I just feel that connection with everything that is like the universe and it's just such healing healing spaces. it's to be in my kayak in the middle of the lake uh, even by myself like i love going kayaking alone yeah it just it's really good to connect and to be out there in nature and breathe in the fresh air
0: if you are in that kayak in the middle of the lake as long as you don't pack a 24 flat or <laughs> of molson ice or however you would call it your addiction it's on the shore your addiction is not in the kayak with you, as long as you don't have a flask in the kayak, but you've gotta realize the addiction's always gonna be there on the shore, and your addiction is trying to build a raft. It's trying to get out there to the kayak, but sometimes just removing yourself and putting yourself in the middle of a lake, not metaphorically speaking, you are you have some solitude, right? Now, Lalea, we have reached our rapid fire round questions. Are you ready to answer these five questions in, in 30 to 60 seconds each? Sure. Yeah. Lulea, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: um Worst memory from drinking would be 2007. It was actually seven, seven, seven. I was with uh partying, and um, the guy that was driving drove off the side of a, a logging road out in the back of Mission, and we flipped five times down fifty foot embankment. I just remember um, blacking. Out. I remember flipping and thinking I was going to die, but when I blacked out, I. Uh, I don't know, when I came to, I was upside down in the car, luckily wearing my seatbelt, and I just remember somebody grabbing me out the back and um, looking down, my white pants were just so bright red, my mouth was draining blood, and the cocaine in my system that we'd been doing all night with the drinking allowed me to hike out of that really steep embankment. I still don't know how, but I was on the couch for, or in the hospital for a week and on the couch for three months because I couldn't walk, and I am still working on forgiving myself for that one.
0: So that was my worst. Number two, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: Um, just to realize that addiction goes further than alcohol. It goes to the pills. It goes to the food. It goes to sex. It goes to whatever it is. You know, I have to keep in check and really surrender to my higher power every day. You know, that's a hard thing because uh, I mean, just admitting, go, uh, talking to somebody, at this higher power is uh, really helps. And just and you just have to watch substances so closely. Watch yourself.
0: Lalea, what is your favorite resource in your recovery?
1: Joining AA has been a huge thing for me because of the, I, I've never done anything like that. Having that closeness with other people and hugging people, you know, that I, I don't really know per se. But it's, it's life-changing and definitely one of my favorite resources but your podcast is actually one of the first i reached out when i admitted i was
0: an alcoholic so i just i'm so grateful for this podcast as well and leah what in regards to sobriety what's the best advice you've ever received
1: to reach out and to stop hiding away like
0: my feelings don't matter talking
1: to people every time i talk i feel like you know, I'm having a pity party and oh, shut up, you know, stop whining and stop feeling, you know, but no, it's it's okay. It's okay to feel we're human. We need to feel we can't hide away from it. It's, we got to reach out, whoever it may be. And I, I think to reach out to professionals and people that you can relate to that have this alcoholic problem is the best, the best thing to do.
0: And it sounds like we just touched on last question, but maybe add a little bit more. What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are in recovery or are thinking about quitting drinking?
1: Again, reach out, whether it be a counselor or to AA or NA, to, to you as well. Uh, you've been a great tool well, in the path of my recovery and I'm um, so grateful for that. And um, yeah, just reach out and just accept it.
0: Lalea, the one month and one week that you had, it's not continuous, but that duration of sobriety from alcohol doesn't go away. Sure, you're starting at nine hours. Maybe we're at nine and a half hours right now, but it's still all that time. It's not wasted. So congratulations. It's all a work in progress. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Paul. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I have been sober for nine months and one week. I made it. I made it here. And when I say I made it, it's all one day at a time. All that is guaranteed is today. So I have made it. I'm not even going to say I'm shooting for a year. Of course I am, but I'm shooting for today. I know today while I'm recording this podcast on June 14th, it is a beautiful day outside. And as soon as I upload this podcast, I'm going to get outside, but I've got nine months in one week, right? And when I got that chip, I got it about 725 in the morning. That's my favorite AA meeting, it was a very early meeting at 7 a.m. I got the chip and I looked at it and didn't see it coming. I started to get teary eyed. It was like a montage started playing. It was like the bittersweet symphony was playing in my head. I started to well up. I went through a lot of bullshit to get that chip. A lot of hard work has been done to get that chip. It's been a lot of pain, a lot of growth, but it's all necessary and it's all had to happen. I can only imagine that NFL player, when he gets drafted, he looks back at all those early morning sprints, those push ups, the bench presses, the practices. He says, Oh, it's all worth it. Well, that's kinda how I felt. Except to me, it was all the hangovers, it was all the guilt, the shame, the terrible moments, the nights spent in a padded jail cell, the depression, the extreme bouts of anxiety, the telling myself that I am done drinking, only hours later to be drunk, all of the above. Being sick and tired, Of being sick and tired. But I looked at that chip and you're supposed to pass this chip around the room so everybody can get it. I didn't do that because I am never letting this chip go. In fact, I have it taped to my wall on a phrase that I typed up about six years ago. It says, If you want this, then you can't have that. And if you want that, then you can't have this. A little redundant, I get it. What that means, you can't have everything. I can't have alcohol. If I want happiness and a true joyous life, I can't have alcohol. If I do want alcohol, that's fine. I can have it, but I can't have a happy and joyous life. That is my acceptance. Acceptance is the answer for me. But that's where I'm at right now. Every single day, I look up at this phrase taped at the wall that I've had for about five or six years, and now there are coins, chips, taped, to this phrase. And you can see a photo of this at the recoveryelevator.com website. It'll be under the podcast post, episode 17. If you want this, then you can't have that. But if you do want that, then you can't have this. I cannot have both. But I'm telling you right now, I am taking happiness, joyfulness over alcohol. Because those two, for me personally, they don't go hand in hand. And if you can have both, then congratulations. I'm happy for you, but I can't and I am accepting that. Recovery elevator, you took the elevator down, you gotta take the steps back up, you can do this.